The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Today FM. It all happens here. Did you know that Dublin is the 12th most traffic congested city in the world, the fifth worst in Europe? We'll be talking to John Gibbons about that in a few moments' time. But let's start with the good news, that the ozone layer is on track to fully recover within decades. Sure, doesn't that show that all of the fuss and the bother was completely overdone, that these things always sort themselves out? Sure, that's just nature and there's no need for us to be worried about things. Uh, good evening, Matt. Yeah, I think that the... the the study or the case of the ozone layer is a textbook case in what happens when governments listen to scientists. And if I can take your listeners back a little little bit of a history lesson on this, uh, the, 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 the idea that the ozone layer could be uh, damaged by CFCs, which are basically aerosols and refrigerants and so on. That was first theorised back in the early 70s. By Sorry, just take one step back. Yeah. What is the ozone layer and why is it important gotcha. to us? Okay. The ozone layer basically is a very thin layer, Matt, in, in the upper atmosphere, in the region called the stratosphere. Now, ozone is a, it's a very rare form of oxygen, O3 for the chemists out there. And basically, ozone, the reason it's so important is that ozone traps incoming uh, solar radiation, a thing called UVB. UVB is very bad. Lots of UVB kills, it gives you cancer and it also destroys the cellular structure of plants. So basically, if you remove the ozone layer from a planet, basically everything on the surface of that planet over time dies. So it's really good to have a big intact ozone layer. So anyway, the scientists discovered basically or or theorised that um, CFCs, these, these supposedly harmless gases, as they wafted up into the stratosphere, they would be bombarded by ultraviolet radiation. They would break down and release a gas called chlorine into the atmosphere. The problem with chlorine is chlorine destroys ozone. So one molecule of chlorine will destroy 100,000 molecules of ozone. So basically the US government back in, I think it was 1978, they acting just on a theory actually began to ban CFCs. Now, uh, when the Reagan government came into power in 1981, this was pretty much scrapped and we went back to business as usual. A few years later, in 1985, the British Antarctic Survey discovered an ozone layer practically the size of Antarctica. In fact, Matt, it was... A hole in the ozone layer. Yeah, it's exactly. A hole in the layer had built up. And the reason, by the way, you might ask, how could you possibly miss a hole this gigantic? What had happened was that the earlier computers that had been tracking it their ranges, if you like, of tolerance were set so that every measurement outside of that range was rejected. So it turned out that the computer readings were right and that basically an area the size of Antarctica, basically the ozone layer had been severely depleted over that region. So that set off the global alarm bells. That was 1985. Within two years, we had a thing called the Montreal Protocol, pushed really by the US. The Montreal Protocol led to a rapid um, scrapping of CFCs, of these gases. And they were replaced, unfortunately, they were replaced by another gas called HFCs, which I can come back to in a minute, which caused some other problems. But the the, the fact that we acted together uh, in banning CFCs, uh, it basically meant that today, 99% of the CFCs... Uh, that existed at that time are have have been outlawed now it still takes time. I think it was estimated to take 70 years for the, for the global atmosphere to recover uh, ozone levels. So we're on the right path for sure. But to, to answer your opening statement, it is exactly the case of the necessity that we take seriously scientific advice. And, and for my money, the real lesson in, in the ozone hole is that when we, when we listen to our science, when politicians are guided by the best available science and when they act decisively, then amazing things are possible. Now, there are limits, of course, Matt, to this story. Uh, 
CFCs were really a very limited range of gases. There were only a very few companies producing them. So those companies weren't really able to kick up a, a huge fuss. The problem, of course, with carbon is that carbon, uh, as produced by the world's energy companies, it is the most profitable business in the history of man. And therefore, every attempt over the last 30, 40 years to reduce, if you like, carbon emissions from, from fossil fuels has been fought every inch of the way. And that's why even today, many of your listeners, well, some of your listeners will still be under the impression, mistaken impression, that there isn't a link, say, between uh, carbon emissions and global warming. But what, what, the, what the lesson really from the ozone layer and what we've proven with this is that when we follow the advice, when we act decisively, uh, basically we can avoid disaster. Let's move to traffic. And Dublin ranked as the 12th most traffic congested city in the world, the fifth worst in Europe. By who and for what period? Yeah, this is uh, an organisation called, uh, it's the 2022 Global Traffic Scorecard and it's a group called INRIX. And basically this is something, Matt, they've been doing for a number of years. And they, they, they look, as you said, at European traffic, at global traffic and try to figure out where the congestion lies. Now, it's pretty extraordinary. If you take Dublin, as you just described, now 114 hours, Matt, that works out to the equivalent of every driver in Dublin spending three working weeks, not commuting, by the way. This is, this is the additional time that a commuter in Dublin will spend because of traffic congestion. Imagine if we could wave a magic wand and give back to people 114 hours, three weeks. In fact, that's almost as long as people's entire holiday entitlement spent sitting in traffic, burning burning fuel and basically running... Listening up, run- to us. These are the people who are in their cars <laughs> listening to us. Well, they, I guess they could. Well, they, they're prob- they could also be on the dart, they could be on the bus, they could be on their bikes listening to us as well, Matt, and be also a lot better for their, for their blood pressure. Yeah, so, so that's the situation. What I found really amazing when I was looking at the, the European rankings. Now, first of all, really, the, the, big, the, the cities that are top of the rankings are big cities like London, Paris, Rome, Istanbul, Brussels. These are big cities. It's amazing to have really quite a small European city like Dublin ranking so highly. And the other thing to but note... You know, the other Irish cities aren't that far behind as well, well. When you look in Cork, it's 68 hours lost on average. In Galway, it's 94. Now, I know what people in Galway are going to say, John, that they wouldn't be spending 94 hours in traffic if they had the outer ring road in place to relieve the traffic traffic congestion around the city. Yeah, it reminds me of the saying that, that somebody uh, who, who thinks that adding more roads is a solution to traffic congestion is the same person who thinks that loosening your belt is a solution to obesity. I'm afraid we've found time and time again, have a look at Los Angeles. Have a look at how many roads ring Los Angeles, right? How many ring roads and outer rings and outer, outer rings. And what they've done is they've made the traffic worse and worse and worse. There are lanes in Los Angeles with 12 lanes in both directions, Matt. And guess what? Los Angeles is some of the worst traffic in the world. So you cannot solve a problem by continuing to do more and more of the thing that causes the problem. In other words, you induce traffic demand and you but get you see, more cars. The thing is, John, people, a lot of people just simply don't have the choice because you, they don't want to be stuck for all of these hours necessarily in their cars. But they'll tell you that they could be longer on public transport getting from A to B or going back to the item we had on earlier, that they don't feel safe on public transport. They feel a damn sight safer in their own car than they do 
travelling on public transport to many parts of the city and also maybe even using bicycles that they don't feel safe on those either. Sure. Well, let's let's start with the congestion issue. Why doesn't public transport work in a city like Dublin? Why doesn't it work well? The simple reason why buses, which of course are our most efficient and largest carrier, people often think of the Dart and the Lewis, but in terms of moving millions of people around, there is nothing as efficient as a bus. That no, That's arguable. If you actually had more underground rail in the city like you have in London, and you have in other things, you'd find that they could be a damn sight more efficient than the buses. Well, this is true, but of course uh, we don't. What we do have is plenty of above-ground roads. The problem is those roads are choked with, in many cases, single-use commuter traffic. Basically, people who feel, for one reason or another, that they, quote, have to take their car. Having all those people jammed into our city centres, basically, is a self-fulfilling prophecy. They are the traffic that they're complaining about, Matt. And the reason why you want to get on a bus, why doesn't the bus work? Because the bus lanes are full. And I think I might have mentioned this before. Uh, we also need to get um, taxis out of our bus lanes. There's no point in having taxis in bus lanes. We need buses in bus lanes and we also need far more dedicated bus lanes. Now, I agree with you. I would love to see a metro system in Dublin. The problem is it's going to take multiples of billions and it's going to take decades. In the meanwhile, we have plenty of surface roads. We have plenty of buses. What we need is to electrify our bus fleet uh, and basically you can quickly add buses in an urban setting as long as you, you basically outcompete the roads. And and if I can just add to this, Matt, something that gave me a, a little moment of optimism on this was I, I read earlier today that Copenhagen is a similar sized city to Dublin. They have about 1,050 parking spaces in the city centre and they are next year, by the end of 2023, I should say, they're getting rid of 600. So they're getting rid of 60% of their surface parking spaces in the city centre. They're replacing them with wider paving Uh, protected cycle lanes and trees. The idea here is again to produce space not for large metal boxes but for human beings to help them to get around and also to improve the air quality and to reduce the noise that goes with, uh, if you like, cities that are choked with cars. Okay, just to finish, there'll be a COP28 next year. It's going to be in Dubai and the United Arab Emirates have named an oil veteran to oversee the entire proceedings. Is that not a good sign that they're sort of looking towards change, that if the oil industry is involved, then maybe things will get done? Yeah, I, I, that's an interesting thought. It'd be a bit like uh, announcing that the Irish government had appointed Michael O'Leary to head the Department of Climate Action. What it would actually tell you is you've got to be kidding. I mean, this is essentially, if you like, for my money, Matt, this is the almost the final insult for the COP process. And, and wh- how this happens is, that, of course, that the, the United Arab Emirates, they're what they call the host country. Now, they get the honour of appointing the president. So they've appointed a gentleman called Sultan Al-Jabbar, and he is the CEO of the Abu Dhabi National Oil Company. So essentially, he's in the business of pumping oil and pumping gas, selling oil and selling gas. And uh, he, t- he tells us that uh, they'll be approaching COP28 with a strong sense of responsibility and the highest possible level of ambition. And pigs might fly. John Gibbons, thank you for joining us here for The Last Word of the Environment. We'll see you again next Thursday. The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Today FM. It all happens here.